1: Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode. I apologize right now for my voice. I promise the whole episode does not sound this way. I'm just coming in later and recording this introduction, and I have uh, obviously lost my voice. Uh, We have on the show today Mariana Vasconcelos, and essentially today's episode is about how do we equip even smallholder farmers with the data that comes from the technologies we so often talk about on this show. Uh, Mariana and her team at AgroSmart are essentially bringing technology to even smallholder farmers throughout Latin America. They uh, partner with food companies and other large buyers of agricultural commodities to help bring the data to their supply chains, which obviously helps the farmers uh, in their decision making, but also helps the food companies publicize you know, the, the data that's being collected to make sure that they're becoming more sustainable in their supply chains. Marianne is a daughter of farmers. She's the co-founder and CEO of Agrismart and has been recognized as a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum. She's a Forbes 30 under 30, Fast Company 100, most creative in business, and was elected by the MIT Technology Review as one of the most brilliant innovators under the age of 35. We're really, really lucky to have her on the show. Enjoy this interview with Mariana Vasconcelos, CEO of AgroSmart. But before we bring on Mariana, I do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Indigo Ag. Record bankruptcies and extreme weather, the two biggest threats facing farming today. But what if instead of trying to solve these issues separately, we asked how these issues could solve each other? Introducing Indigo Carbon, the first program that pays farmers to remove carbon from the air. Good news for farmers and for the planet. Visit indigoag.com slash grow to learn more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Thanks so much again to Indigo Ag for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. And now to Mariana Vasconcelos. Mariana started her career in other related industries, but decided she wanted to bring her knowledge of data and IOT back to agriculture. She starts off by explaining where she saw the problem that needed to be addressed in this industry.
2: One of the things that I thought is still a main challenge in agriculture is the decision making process where farmers rely so much on their intuitions and copying their neighbors in order to decide what to do. So we wanted to shift this intuition-based decision to fact-based decision. And we understood we need data. And in Latin America, we still lack a lot of data. There's not so much public database that you can start from. You need to start collecting raw data. So we went to the field and we tried to buy most of the sensors available online and see what we could use for agriculture. And then we had a lot of issues with, like, durability, consistency of data reading, and so on. But the main challenge was connectivity. So in the fields here, there's actually no internet. Like, only 14% of the farms have some kind of internet in the field. So we wouldn't be able to collect data with the normal package service requiring 3G to send the data over. So the first thing we did that was, like, the first challenge we addressed was creating a mesh network that would be able to collect data from sensors. And communicate within a range of fifteen kilometers from one sensor to another until we reached a point in the in the city or like in the farm office or house that we would be able to send the data online. That was mm-hmm. the first thing we, we started
0: working with. And and what data points were most important to you at first?
2: Microclimate, like so weather stations, rain monitoring, and then lately soil moisture. So like we decided to test everything but we, we just wanted to be able to collect data. And then what we learned was it was not enough because our farmers were not used at all to those kinds of data. So we delivered a weather station and many farmers have weather stations, but they did nothing about it. Or like we installed the soil sensors and it just didn't know what means to have some any, any information on the soil moisture. So we understood we needed to Deliver something with that data ourselves. So we moved into irrigation as a first insight. Brazil had in a very severe water crisis in the, in the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. That is exactly when we started the company. And we saw, okay, like maybe that's a challenge we can help because it was a strong government regulation and some cities were running out of water in the house and in the irrigation, there was even less water. So we understood we could help farmers do irrigation more efficiently. So that was our first insight.
0: Okay. And, and how does that step work between providing the data to actually, because like you just said, the big problem to me seems to be that, you know, farmers have survived without maybe new forms of data like, like companies like yours are providing. And, and so are they really feeling the pain that they need to use it? So how did you make it to where they were excited to use the insights you were, prov- you were providing them?
2: So that's why we decided to do it for irrigation first, because they, they were out of water. So there was no water or the government regulation was really strict in applying fees to to the farms that wouldn't be following the the rules. So that's when they started to look for tools that they would show the regulators that they were doing a good job. Mm. So that's why we decided to work with water first to drive this insight. Of course, it was an education process right now, like we are completing five years of the company. And we have been since then producing online content and helping farmers to understand why it's important to have local data. And how they can use it and and move away from that intuition, which we also value, but we help them to transform that intuition into something they can measure and understand when to act on that knowledge.
0: Interesting. And yeah, this to me seems like a really, really important point where maybe initially a big problem you're helping them solve is to satisfy requirements of either regulators or consumers saying, here, I can prove what I'm doing. And to me, when I think about the future of agriculture and, and the industry being able to validate the fact that we are sustainable, we're going to need to back it up with data maybe collected from from technology like you're providing.
2: Exactly. And that's how we started working with corporations. So our first corporate customer was Coca-Cola. So they hired us because they needed to reduce the amount of water in their supply chain. It was one of their sustainability goals. So we started monitoring their farmers that was providing fruits for the Del Valle juice. It's similar to the minute made in the U.S., and we start with that goal, like helping Coca-Cola to reduce the amount of water in the supply chain. But then what started happening is that even Coca-Cola or even the farmers, they were coming to us, okay, like, but you are the one that have the connectivity here in Brazil. So I want to use your sensors and your data to do other stuff, to go beyond and start learning how I can change my, my practices and my agriculture management in general in the farm. So they start demanding us to collect more data and to create new insights. And that's how we shifted from irrigation to a digital ad platform that goes across the supply chain.
0: Okay. And, and put us in, in the mind of one of these farmers that, that maybe is, is part of the supply chain for, for a company like Coca-Cola. You know, uh, what's in it for them? Is this kind of being forced upon them by the, the, the person that they're selling their products to? Or kind of how are they looking at this initiative?
2: Uh, it's coming by a push of the food and drink and beverage companies. So they need to prove and to show sustainability for the consumer, but they also need to help farmers to adapt to climate change. So many of them started having variation in quality and pricing because the regions where they would source from, some farmers just couldn't produce or couldn't achieve the results they needed to. So they understood they they needed to intervene in their supply chain, providing education and tools. So the farmers would adapt to those changes and continue to produce in the way they need it. So we come either 100% subsided or partially subsided by the food and beverage company that are buying from those farmers. Hmm. And like in exchange of that help that they're being financially supported to acquire the technology, they also share that data with the corp that can later communicate on their sustainability reports or using it for creating new sourcing strategies.
0: And are the farmers that you're working with for, for these supply chains are they are they smallholder farmers? Or are we talking you know large? Tell us about the you know the farmers themselves.
2: Most of them are uh, smallholders and medium farms in the food supply chain. I work directly also with medium and large farms. So Like these ones, they are either uh, directly reaching out to me, or they are part of the other part of the supply chain that they are a customer of an input company, for example.
0: You mentioned something really interesting about, you know, these food companies that want to help their supply chain adapt to climate change. What does that look like on a practical level? How does a farmer adapt what they're doing to climate change?
2: So first we start monitoring locally what's going on and we have like the most precise seven-day weather forecaster in the market. So we use both of these data to start farmers, how they can adapt to the to the climate. So like when they They should start seeding when they should spray. How much they should irrigate. How at risk they are regarding Mm. a frost or something like that. So, like in the platform, they they can configure many alerts and be advised every day if they're at risk or when to start an operation to be more sustainable. Also, those food companies they have technical assistance that are agronomists that go to the field to start supporting the farmers on their day-to-day operations. But these are limited people for many farmers. So they needed also like an intelligence on how to allocate their, their labor force to, the, to help those farmers in a better way. So as we are monitoring remotely with the sensors, all of these farms and using the weather forecast, they are able to plan themselves better to allocate help when it's needed.
0: And what does the output look like for a farmer? Is it something that says you need to irrigate now? Or is it something that says, here's how dry your soil is and and here's the forecast. So do with that what you will. Obviously, I understand the data collection part about, you know, hey, here's how much water you have used. But how, how do we make it actionable for a farmer?
2: Okay. So we have some different models. The irrigation model, it tells the farmer every day how much water they should use in each plot. And depending on the controller he has, he can even automate that action. So he can check the amount recommended in the plot and in the platform, press a button and start irrigating that plot. So we tell the when and how much every day. We also tell them, for example, some disease risk. So for the coffee, we created an algorithm to predict coffee rust with seven days in advance. So we tell the farmers exactly how much risk they have in each plot for the disease so they can start spraying preventive and avoid that the like we were able to reduce from 30 percent to two percent incidence in coffee rust in in this region in minas gerais hmm. we also have the weather forecast and it's just the weather forecast but based on that amount of data from the weather forecast and the sensors they can create their own rules so let me give you some uh, some examples we had a watermelon farmer that he knew actually it was a group of farmers, that they knew that every three days under 17 degrees of temperature, they had to release bees for pollinization. And many of them, they were having bad results because they, because they were doing pollinization wrong. And that's because they forget to do it. Like no one, even if when you have a sensor, you keep looking at the sensor 24-7. So they just didn't understand when the condition happened to so the act. So they can create those rules. And for the farmer, like his phone will ring like with an SMS or a WhatsApp or in the platform alert. And say you need to pollinize now. It's like, oh, you have a coffee rust high risk. You should start looking for spraying now. Or you should start seeding, like, for example, for soybean, you have 10 millimeters of water in the soil. It's like, now it's a good time for you to start seeding. So, those kinds of tangible actions that can be created with our intelligence, in the case of the irrigation or the coffee rust prediction or with the local farmer knowledge or agronomy, agronomist consultant knowledge that can help them to, to, to scale this decision-making based on the climate.
0: Hmm. What's the feedback loop look like? I imagine in order to get really good at doing that, AgroSmart has to receive feedback from the farmer saying, hey, I took your advice and it worked, and here's the data to, to back that up. So what's that feedback loop look like so that, you know, so that your ins- insights continue to get better based on all the data you're, you're generating?
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. So there is like different ways we work with artificial intelligence in different models. For example, in the weather forecast, our feedback is the sensor itself. So I have more than 30,000 sensors connected to the platform. And when we think it's going to rain, we are able to know if it rained or not in many data points. And that like feeds the, the model. No? In the coffee rust, we use a database from Embrapa, that is one of the largest research institutions, different universities with more than 27,000 farm, coffee farms to be able to tell us when they have the disease or not. So, like, we would cross-check the climate condition and if they had the disease or not. And in the irrigation itself, the sensors tells us, like, the, the evapotranspiration, the rain, the soil moisture in that field, and the farmer has a feedback button where they say if that recommendation was compatible with what he saw in the field. So that way, like, the, the models go learning.
0: Right. So you're always getting that feedback to, to see how, how that's working. And then, and then, you know, in order to tell a, a farmer that, hey, you don't need to – irrigate right now that's got to be difficult for for a farmer that is worried you know oh no what's this going to do to my yield do they report their yields back to you at the end of the season to make sure that it didn't you know require any yield loss
2: they do they do so they they tell us uh, and everything like they have to register the field they register what's the crop the variety they are using when it was seeded and then they yield in the end That can be inputted or I can pull it by an API with different systems. So like today we are compatible with some management, farm management systems, uh, drone imagery, machine monitoring systems like the climate field view. So we are able to pull data from other systems as well to validate ours.
0: Okay. And when, when you're involved with a food company and the food company is encouraging their farmers to use this, does the food company come in and say, look, we're going to make it easy on the farmers. We're going to pay to have all of these sensors installed and all the, and for all of this data, because, because really, you know, in that case, they're the ones getting the benefits or, or is the farmer getting, you know, the, the benefit and happy to pay themselves?
2: Uh, both so like there is a part of the payment being done by a food company in most cases so they subside the system so it gets cheaper for the farmer to buy that way they are benefited and also the farmer some companies they choose not to pay but they create demo farms so like they reunite different tools and best practices and they invite their suppliers to get to know it to incentivize their adoption what we see is like in one day that will be a prerequisite to start supplying for those companies. So if a farmer don't have it, they won't be supplying to those companies. But that's a long-term run. And to increase adoption and financial access and so on, they are starting by paying a part of the system.
0: Okay. And where, where is AgroSmart currently? We've talked about Brazil. That's where you're from and where you're based out of. But where, where is AgroSmart available currently?
2: We are working most of Latin America, so like Argentina, Peru, Colombia, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Mexico. And we do have projects in the U.S., but just with corporates in the input side. So we also have a part of our work where we work in the R&D. Of the seed companies or like biological and chemical companies to create more efficient protocols so they understand their product efficiency and later they can tell farmers how to use it. So in the US, we work in a program with Corteva and we work with Indigo as well.
0: Talk to us about working with smallholder farmers. You know, I'm in the US and some of the people I talk to on this podcast are dealing with, you know, very, very large scale farming. How does the thought process of a, of a smallholder farmer different? differ when it comes to adopting new technology and is that a challenge for agro smart
2: that is a challenge because of market access mostly so many uh, many of the farmers that arrive to us wanting to buy the system they are smallholder. so they are curious they want to obtain information they want to change behavior but the education level is way lower and that's why we don't go there alone and we look for those corporates or cooperative that is working with them so we can centralize many smallholders and then share, like, the sensors between them. We provide the agronomic insights, but usually they require some level of agronomic follow-on. Follow and that's where, like, the cooperative and the corporation plays a role. So, like, it's not enough to just throw away. Of course, there is entry products, like the, the, the weather forecast, the, the coffee rust forecast. Those are, are just SaaS, just software. That's easier for us to entry and they don't have so much to, to learn. But when you start talking about sensors and improving all their practices in the farm, it's important to have someone that are closer to them. And that's why we go through the cooperatives and the corporations.
0: Okay, so not all of your insights require on-the-ground sensors.
2: No, I required to build the models but not later to distribute. So I needed the sensors to create the coffee rust model and those sensors installed keep feeding my model. But as it's a forecast model, I can run it in the same grid that I have my weather forecast, which is seven Mm kilometers. So in anywhere that I cover, like with a seven kilometer distance, I can run the risk model.
0: So as you've expanded in Brazil and, and outside of the country, you know theoretically with this, because you're collecting more data and you're improving your models, you should actually get more effective the bigger you get. Is that correct?
2: That's the, uh, that's correct. And that's why we started like with an uh, entry value proposition for the farmer to help them to obtain return on investment from the sensors, like with the irrigation. But the goal is to continue to grow that data set so we are able to deliver more and more value or to allow some partners of ours to deliver more values. Like we are not experts in yield forecast or in fertilizer recommendation, but we do have partners that are. So as the farmer approves, we can integrate that data set with their other company they are working with, and then they can deliver more value to that farmer on top of the same data.
0: And what's what's the hard part about this, as far as what's proprietary, so that so that it, it would make it very hard for competition to spring up? Is is it you know the artificial intelligence, the algorithms behind that, or is it the technology itself?
2: I believe it's a, a group of things. I think the first thing is data sets. So like as you know, you cannot create a good AI model if you don't have a good data set. And when you look to Latin America, there is still no data sets. Hmm. So like we had to create, and we have done it ahead of everyone else. So we have five years of data. And that allowed us to create very good models. So right now, yes, it is the models that I have and like the ability that I have to create other models faster because I have the the, connecti- the, the data with, with the connectivity. But another thing that I think makes us different is the systemic view. As I work from the input companies in the R&D and then with the farmer and then delivering value to the supply chain that is buying that from the farmer. I have an overview of what's going on everywhere apart from the farmer. And that makes us make it easier for us to understand how to add value.
0: Are you focused mostly on really high value crops like coffee and cocoa? Or is, is this pretty universal? I know you mentioned watermelons earlier. Is it pretty universal to all crops?
2: It's universal. So, like uh, in Brazil, I think it's because of the profile that we have. Farmers usually don't see only one thing, they see everything together. So like if you have a farm, like a medium farm in Brazil would have grains, like turning soybean, corn and, and beans, and he would have a coffee in the same place. Like it's common to have this mixture of crops because we have very diverse microclimates and, and sizes of farms. So we work with different industries. Our work with indigo and Gingenta, for example, are mostly focused on grains, but we work on the food chain, focusing on the high value crops.
0: Okay. Tell me about why, why an input company, what's their problem they're wrestling with that you help with them?
2: Two things. One is creating market differentiation. So that's like the trend that everyone else is seeing market is like these companies are looking for technology to create high value offers for their customer to make their customer loyal and wanting to buy them and not from the competition. So we are used usually as a package, like the, the, the farmer receives uh, AgroSmart with a discount or in you know, a together sale with the seed or, or product package. And also when we talk about climate resilience, it's for both sides. So when you, start to, when you need to start creating products that are more sustainable, like when you have a seed that will respond to drought or when you have a biological product, you, start, you need to start creating new agronomic protocols for that. So before launching those products to the field, those companies need to understand how they work. And that's how we have been working. Like we work on the r and side, so we understand how to use it to better, best efficiency, how they respond to different conditions. And then when they reach the farm, they sell it with our technology embedded so the farmers know how to use and they get more customer succession. So we do that with Indigo, for example, now in, in Brazil uh, with their microbes and products. We did it with Syngenta, with their seeds. So like it goes together to improve efficiency with UPL, like we are working in in some efficiency on the fungicide application and how their consultants can can be more efficient, or even like with Nandanjang in irrigation. So the goal there is the same. It's like they have a product and they want to aggregate value through it.
0: Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, I know a lot of your your data comes from from satellite but uh, and drones, but what about, you know, you probably need quite a few of these internet-connected devices, and how do you deal with rural connectivity issues? Because that's something we're facing in the U.S., so I can only imagine it's got to be equally challenging, if not more challenging, in Latin America.
2: It's way more challenging. And that's how we start getting the data first. So we create our own proprietary network that has this 15 kilometers range distance between one sensor to another. So we create this large distance mesh network for sending data over. But today we are also compatible with different protocols like direct satellite communication, LoRa or Sigfox. So it's part of our expertise. We sell the farmer the intelligence and we worry about the the way it's going to connect. Like it's a modular gateway that we have and we change the connectivity depending on the conditions of the farm.
0: So I, I know for you, you know, s- sustainability is a big driver for you and and addressing things like climate change. There's been a lot in the news about Brazil specifically and, and a lot of finger pointing at agriculture as someone destroying, you know, destroying the planet to feed it. Can you speak to that a little bit and then how you hope AgriSmart might create a more sustainable future?
2: Yes, sure. So I think it's not very fair, like what the media showcases. Of course, we had a very bad incident in Amazonia and the fires and so on. And there are several reasons to that. Some of them are purely climatic and some of them are criminal actions. And I understand that does not correspond to Brazil itself, but to some people that do wrong stuff everywhere in the world. So it's actually unfair because Brazil has one of the most sustainable agriculture in the world. Like we, if you look to the, the animal welfare and to the initiatives regarding integration between crops, animal and forest and regenerative agriculture, we are leading many of those movements and increasing like in large scale as we have large farms too as in the U.S. So I believe, like it's in just increasing. I don't think that the country position is to go to the wrong side, but it's to improve. It's to export more and more. We are great exporter, and we know that's a customer demand, and that's why I think our role as a consumer is to continue pushing that because farmers know that and they are doing even because they even if it's not because they care, but because the market demands to, and it's growing. So I believe, like we should start talking more about the good things that we are doing and punishing very hard the ones that are doing wrong.
0: Talk to us about the ag tech scene or, or the ag startup ecosystem in Brazil. We haven't had someone come on you know, who has a startup in Brazil yet. And so I, I'd love to hear more about what's happening there in terms of agricultural innovation that, that excites you.
2: That's nice because it's a beautiful movement to watch. And as Brazilian and Latin, I would say there's a lot of these Silicon Valley trend that people believe that something can only be done if it's done in Silicon Valley and that's just so not true you know and Mm -hmm. it's good to see that mindset change in Brazil to understand that we are already the largest producer and exporter for many goods and why not export technology and agriculture as we understand how it's done and we understand how it's done in scale which is is a difference from many places so when we started I think we were like the fifth AgTech in Brazil, and now there's more than a 1,000. So it's growing a lot in the past five years. There was no investment. I think we were like the third investment of SP Ventures, and now they are one of the top investors in AgTech in the world, ranked by AgFunder. We are consolidating an ecosystem. So the first one was in Piracicaba, that is the AgTech Valley, where you have like corporates doing open innovation, university, government, and VC capital, consolidating like the area... In a, in a in a real ecosystem for agtech, and then in Mato Grosso you start another one with the farmers that is called AgriHub. So like the farmers associations created an initiative with startups. So they listed their main problems and started engaging with entrepreneurs to solve it. And most recently in Paraná, there is another ecosystem. I know Argentina already also consolidated theirs that goes from Córdoba, Rosario, and Buenos Aires. So they created like this annual AgTech Week where you can go through the route and meet the startups and meet the farmers that are using technology. So this is growing. And it's not only about AgTech, but it's the startup ecosystem in general. So like in, in 2017, Brazil didn't have any unicorn. And in 2018, we have more than 10 already.
0: Oh, wow. How's that been for you as, as a young CEO, you know, scaling a company? What's been the most challenging aspects and what keeps you determined to fulfill this vision you have?
2: I think people is very challenging as like we are in the frontier of technology worldwide and also in a country that is still developing, So, like forming people and finding people that understand that mindset of exponential growth. It's a little bit challenging. Also, the How large is the country? And like, as I said to you, it's not acceptable that we choose just one place as our customers require us to be present and be there. So like leading with this expansion of the country is is very challenging. Hmm. Also, capital is challenging because we have to convince an investor about Latin America, about Brazil, and then about the company. So it's like we have way less capital available here, right? Hmm. And what kept me focused on the mission is how much I want to impact. Like I really believe on how important is agriculture to my country and how big is the potential for us to lead in agri-tech technology as well as we lead already in agriculture production. So like I know what it is to be like a farmer every day in the farm and have to to handle the pressure of producing more and being more sustainable and being more transparent. And it's hard for the farmers to adapt if there's people not there to hold their hands and do it together. So I think even as a startup, that's challenging because we want to create scalable process and growth. But like, we are in a transformation and we need to do all together. And I think being close to farmers and being, uh, seeing the results of our, our work is what keeps me energized.
0: Are there any specific stories of transformation that, you have, that you've witnessed as a result of AgroSmart that, that really signify the transformation you want to scale throughout Latin America?
2: Mm, there's many stories. Like we are even launching now a series of cases, uh, showing cases, some of those uses. But I remember, for example, when we first arrived to the Coca-Cola farmers, they cried because like, no one ever did that for them. So like, it's like to make someone cry because of you, because you're giving them access to something that everyone didn't think it was possible. And when you talk about developing countries, and it's even worse if you talk about Africa and other places, people just assume they deserve the worst or like some basic stuff. And it's like, no, like a smallholder farmer in a civilization, they can have the same top, top technology that a 400,000 hectare farmer would have. They don't deserve less. And I think that was very impactful for me. And also like empowering local brands. So a lot of, because of the sustainability approach, a lot of local Brazilian brands of coffee or coconut water uh, that are exporting and they're trying to grow, they're using our brand as a reinforcement of their brand and telling the consumers like I am trustworthy and you can look at my product because it's a quality product so they can compete with multinationals in in the farmers. So being an enabler to transform farmers into entrepreneurs that also marks me a lot.
0: And, and, and can you give us an idea of a, kind of what the, what the cost is? I mean, how, how within reach is this for, for your average farmer? And I, and I know we're, we're dealing with some, you know, currency differences here. But, I, but just to give us a sense for like, you know, how accessible is this for your average smallholder farmer?
2: Okay, so for, for a farmer like that's working in a food company in a SaaS product, they would be able to access insights for like $50 a month, for example. And an average ticket for a medium farm, it would be 10 to 15k dollars a year. And they like they usually pay the the investment in the first season.
0: Oh wow. And and is that 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 investment is because they can get a premium from the food company or it's because of savings in in water and energy?
2: Both it's a mixture. Depends on the case. Sometimes we enter to save the farmer, like to continue producing. And then it's more like a lower cost. Sometimes the, the quality increase or like this case i told you about the the brands mm-hmm. like they can charge more for the product from the consumer or from the food company and and have a a better income
0: and you know there there definitely is a a social mission here did did you at one at, at one point did you wonder if maybe you should be like a nonprofit or ngo or were you always committed to the the private enterprise model
2: i have always been committed to the private enterprise model because i believe that you should have sustainable impact. And like, I, I don't want to be depending on the nations or in third party things to, to grow. And I believe in social entrepreneurship. It's like, I, I think we can create positive impact and create a growth company at the same time.
0: Obviously, it's becoming you know more and more common for for the the superstar CEOs to be female. But I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on if it's been more challenging for you? You feel like as a female founder and CEO, or or if there's any differences there?
2: It is super challenging because I'm in both agriculture and technology that are very conservative. Uh, there is its good and bad sides, of course. Like with the farmers, I don't have issues. Like the farmers are usually very well receiving. And they create a lot of empathy with me because they see me as a daughter. So like, especially when I started, and I needed to visit a lot of customers and so on. They treated me very, very well. And they would use me to talk to their kids and convince them that they should work in agriculture too. Mm-hmm. So like there was a great rapport there. My main challenge is with agronomists and middle management in the multinational corporations. And sometimes they take a very hard time to accept that I might be technical enough, that I understand enough, and that I know what I'm doing. So it's a little bit challenging in there. NVC capital, of course, because I'm a woman and I am Latin. <laughs> hmm.
0: And how have you been able to overcome those challenges?
2: Just keep doing it. I'm very technical. Like I learned about artificial intelligence. I learned about agriculture and agronomy. So I can discuss equally with anyone that is technical and continuing to show the good results. I think our growth we we'll tell them the opposite and it's very interesting because now the female participation in agriculture is increasing a lot so like there's women taking on the farmers and achieving leadership positions in those corporations. And I believe in role models, like these girls inspire me and I inspire other girls. So we we create a more equal environment.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, paint us a picture, if you would, for the the future of agriculture in Brazil or in Latin America in general. You know, how do you things look different when more farmers are empowered with more data? And what looks different, you know, in the decades to come for the agriculture industry in Latin America?
2: I think it will be completely different. I think we are able to reach like record yield levels and very sustainably. Like if you look to agriculture from the 70s in Brazil, it was subsistence. Like we would only cultivate coffee and sugarcane because we didn't even know how to adequate our lands to produce. And now like we became the largest producer and exporter of sugarcane, coffee, but also orange juice, chicken meat, and, and soybean complex, and now we are the second on the, on the cow meat and, and corn. It's like, look what we achieved going out of this uh, subsistential agriculture to this in like 40 years. So I, I, I'm very optimist about the future, to think like what we can do when we actually implement the level of technology that we have access to today and to prove the world that we can do it in respect our environment.
0: Great. Well, Mariana, I really appreciate all the time today. This has been a fascinating look at Latin American agriculture and how technology is is changing the game for, for food companies and for farmers, small and large alike. So thank you for the time. Where should we send people to follow up and learn more about the work you're doing?
2: In our website is www.agrismart.com.br. They can access content in Spanish, English, and in Portuguese.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much again, Mariana. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you so much to
1: Mariana for being on the show, and I hope you enjoyed that look at how we can help companies not only make their supply chains more sustainable, but how we can equip farmers with the data and tools that maybe you know they would not have access to on their own. I really enjoyed that. I need to give also a very special shout out to Guilherme Rauchi. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. He's an AgroSmart employee, a listener of the show, and he helped facilitate that intro. So thank you, Guilherme, for making that uh, possible for all of us. Thanks so much to all of you for your time and your attention. Sorry about my voice <laughs> one more time. And we'll be back next week with another Ag Innovator.